This last year, I made more in residuals from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, a show I wrote 25 years ago, than I did off this Apple show, which is a huge hit and is watched by millions upon millions of people. Because streaming residuals are a joke. If you are a creative in the entertainment industry looking for inspiration and practical ideas about how to take the next steps in your career, you are in the right place. My name is Rebecca Doyle and I work in film and television in Los Angeles. I learned so much from the ups and downs of the talented, innovative people surrounding me and I want to share those insights with you. Join in every other week to hear the break-in stories of people who overcame challenges and found unconventional avenues to pursue their dream careers in an industry that has no set path. Okay, welcome to a very special episode of No Set Path. We are doing something a little different today because instead of sitting down with one person one-on-one, I went down to the picket lines. The Writers Guild of America and the Screen Actors Guild are both currently on strike at the time of recording this, the week of July 18th. And this is really a historic time for Hollywood with these unions. The results of the strikes and the negotiations that eventually occur could be really precedent setting for the industry. And so I wanted to go down to the picket lines and put some human faces and stories behind the headlines that we are all seeing. So to give you a brief overview, the Writers Guild of America has been on strike officially since May 2nd. And the Screen Actors Guild joined them on July 14th. To give a very brief, simplified version of events leading up to the strike, the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild both have contracts that are up for renewal with the AMPTP. And in this renewal of the contract, the negotiation between the AMPTP and the Writers Guild and Screen Actors Guild basically reached a stalemate where they were not able to agree on what the contract would look like moving forward. Again, a very simplified version of this is they were unable to agree on some key issues, including compensation specifically for residuals, which have been changed since the introduction of streaming, as well as artificial intelligence and how that can be used appropriately and fairly among several other issues. So for this week's episode, I wanted to focus on the writers, but I did speak to both writers and actors on the picket line. So our next episode is going to be another special episode where I spoke to several actors and speaking to the SAG strike. But for this episode, we are focusing on the writers. So let's jump into those interviews. The first, I had the chance to speak with Alex O'Keefe, who is a staff writer on the hit show, The Bear. I'm Alex O'Keefe. I'm a member of Writers Guild of America West. And could you tell me why you're out here today? I'm out here because I was a staff writer on The Bear and I felt all the kind of precarity that comes with being on the lower level and being in the underclass of Hollywood. Uh, You think that it's going to be all glamorous, but all that glitters is not gold. You know, underneath you... A lot of staff writers are living in poverty, you know? A lot of them are making less than the poverty line, and, you know, it's very hard to find other work in between the gigs, and it's a completely unstable business. You can get a call. With the bear, I got a, I, I did the interview, and then they were like, can you start tomorrow? You know, it's a very zero to 100 business, um, and it's not serving young people. It's not serving the diversity of women, people of color, um, queer folks who have come into the business with brilliant new ideas, 
Christmas or are making shows and movies like we've never seen before, like Everything Everywhere All at Once or The Bear or Abbott Elementary, but it's not serving the creators behind it. It's been, the entire system has been rigged for the 1% to profit off of our work and not share any of the profits. That has historically been the deal in Hollywood. This used to be a place you could come, have a middle-class union job, but that's really degraded over the last 15 years with the rise of streaming. Thank you so much for explaining all that. That's great, great starter info, especially for someone that's totally unfamiliar with what's going on. We're also out here trying to put faces behind the headlines because everyone sees these things about the guilds and it's so easy to forget there are real humans with real stories behind here. Could you talk me through your break into Hollywood, what your first credits were, and when you landed that WGA card? Yeah. Well, I was a director's assistant for a couple years and that was a good way to start because I got to kind of be behind the scenes at the top level and assistants kind of hear everything. And so you kind of get a sense of how the business works that way, if you're willing to pay attention. And what projects were you assisting a director on? Um, I worked for the director, Jesse Peretz, on Girls, Glow, Shrill. So a lot of like women-led shows, which was also special. Um, it gave me a little bit of a... Uh, I got a reality check once I fully came in the business, because I mostly worked with women as my bosses. Um, and that was just a different experience. Um, but I learned a lot, and people were very... I was very affable, and that kind of experience is what you make of it. Your boss is not necessarily going to network for you or make connections for you. You have to, and I also am not much of a networker. I see myself more as an organizer, that it's less about the promotion of my career, more about the promotion of the greater good. And so for years, I'd be talking to people about how, you know, before I was in the guild, hey, how they're paying you. These working conditions are bad. Like, you guys going to just take this? Like, I thought Hollywood would be good. Um, and I just try to actually see people as human beings rather than on ramps to my own career. So I didn't really ever ask anybody for this or that. I went and I worked in politics for a while, tried to bring what I learned in Hollywood to politics, and I came back and I just written a screenplay. And I sent it around to some of the people I had met. And some of the people that I had met when I was an assistant were at a lower level. Maybe they were an associate manager, my current manager. I met him when he was an associate manager. So he hadn't made it his way up to now. But when I came back a couple years later, now he was a manager on the rise, you know. So a lot of those people, you, you have to like kind of organize horizontally. Instead of just always trying to get the attention of the biggest person, you organize horizontally. You see those people who will grow into something, who have potential. And he he read my script and he loved it and he called me he's like let's try to make this I was like for real I was like I I was just trying to get notes man he's like no we can we can try to sell this and so he sent it around um, he sent a Shaka King who had just come off of Jerusalem Black Messiah he had a lot of capital from that uh, that movie so he got me to a deal and then I talked to um, the showrunners of the bear did an interview with them and at the time it wasn't supposed to be this huge show is hey it's a show about a sandwich shop you know and I'm like oh okay like a sitcom or something uh, like a multi-cam they're like no it's like a dramedy about a sandwich shop in Chicago so I interviewed with them and they liked me and they said can you start tomorrow because they needed a little bit of extra spice so all I can say when breaking in is you know no one becomes MJ in their first year no one's MVP in their first year um, no matter what you've heard everyone starts from somewhere no one's first movie is usually look at Martin Scorsese's first movie it wasn't Mean Streets it's, everyone hides their first movie Tarantino's first movie in black and white it wasn't Reservoir Dogs you know but everyone hides that um, you have to be okay with failing you have to be okay with not being the best immediately 
failure, success, peaks and valleys, you know, even in the success, it can be a Pyrrhic victory. It can be tainted. It can be poisoned in some ways too. But you find the thing that you're good at, you find your voice. That's all I can tell you. If you have an original voice, you'll find your way to a writer's room. You'll find your way to a deal. And you might not be, you might not be the star of the show. You might not be the showrunner, but you will be able to kind of lend your, your flavor to the sauce. And so you said this is an industry, obviously, peaks and valleys, you have to be comfortable with failure. When you encountered failure and maybe some of those lows, what was it that kept you going? I guess there was no, once you kind of, it's like sunk costs. Once you're out here and you've done it, you know, you're like, you just have to, you have to keep going. Because if not, what, what else would I do? And I, I don't like to work in the service industry at this point in my life. It's hard on my feet. It's hard on my knees. Like, as hard as the job can be, and the worst part of the job is the psychological warfare and the gaslighting and all that sort of thing. That's much harder than the actual writing when you're a person of color, when you're a woman in the business. But you just have to not take anything personal. That's the number one thing I would say can't take anything personal you have to just know who you are and you can't affix your personal worth on the project you're working on or the success of the project even when it not just the failure success even when it's successful the bear is very successful now and people come up to me especially in the picket line oh i love this episode oh, i love the bear or what you got and that's i appreciate it but ultimately, it's a job for me, you know? So it's like if someone came, to, if I was working at a sandwich shop and someone came to me and said, oh my God, that sandwich you made yesterday was incredible, the best sandwich I ever had. You're like, thanks, like, that's what I do. I make sandwiches, you know? Um, and you just kind of have to see it like a job. You know, you go clock in, you try to do your best, you clock out. When you start attaching your self-worth, your identity to it, you get lost very quickly as a young person and you will not get rewarded. Your self-esteem will get depleted, always. Because nobody's always on top. Nobody's always on top. Every single career in the history of this business has peaks and valleys. So you just have to be prepared for it and, and you can't have shame around it. So going to that interview for The Bear, it was a very fast-moving process. You said you interviewed and then the next day you, you got in. What kinds of things did you have to catch the attention for that interview? How did you land that interview? And then once in the interview, what kind of things were they asking you? Well, you talk about your experience. You talk. I always try to talk about the characters. And you try to talk about the characters as if you met them at a party or something. And you're kind of analyzing them like, oh, yeah, that guy, Richie. Yeah, he's kind of like this kind of guy. Because one of the biggest things with TV, it's a very character-based medium. There's a character arc. So you want to be able to show that you deeply know this person. You can kind of predict where they might go next or put them in certain situations. Character is a big focus. But for me with generals, you know, a lot of people tell you be very prepared. A lot of people tell you, like, sell yourself. I never try to do that. You know, I don't try to sell myself. I always try to see it as a conversation. I want you to make a good TV show. I want you to make a good movie. You know, whether or not I'm on it or not. I am an artist. I like more good art. You know, that's good for me. So I always just try to offer my best advice. I try to ask them, ask a lot of questions. What are you trying to achieve? What is it like? What does this mean to you? I try to understand where in their heart the material is coming from. Um, and understand why they're passionate about it and try to spark their passion. Because the people that you really want around on you know week eight 
of like a really hard room are the people who will keep you inspired for why you originally thought this was a good idea. Because it doesn't matter how good the show is, halfway through you're like, is this good? Does this suck? Oh my God, are we doing this all for nothing? So those people who can be optimistic and inspiring and remind, for me at least, that's what I always try to add. I just try to talk to people as human beings. I don't try to kiss ass. I don't try to plead or beg. I just try to say, hey, this is what I'm good at. Let me know why you care about this thing, that you're gonna devote the next couple years of your life to it. And let me celebrate that you're doing that. And if you want my help, I'm here to help. If not, you, you take care, you know? And that also just makes it feel less like they owe you something or you're entitled or whatever. Take it or leave it. Opportunities come, opportunities go. And if they hire somebody else, maybe that person's just better for that position. That doesn't mean that you're never gonna get a job again. The biggest thing I try to avoid in this business is bitterness and competition among my fellow writers. I try to have solidarity. Whoever gets that job, I'm happy for them, you know? Sometimes it's hard, sometimes you really want that job. Take deep breaths, meditate, and just remember that the job will come if you keep chipping away at it, it will come. You know, there are people, Michelle Yeoh, you know, had their breakthroughs, got the Oscar, much later in her career than I'm sure she expected. Believe, if you believe in yourself, if you truly believe in yourself and you're willing to put the work in to turn your dream into action, you'll find your way. I think most people find their way. I'm not anybody special, I'm just some guy, you know? Um, I just am some, somebody who pays attention to my friends and to my family. I'm emotional, I'm sensitive. Those are the ways to learn more about the human condition and then replicate it and express it in your art. Beautiful. Oh my gosh, you hit the nail on the head so many times. So uh, the title of the podcast is No Set Path, Entertainment Breaking Stories. And you're really exemplifying that there is no set path. You started as a director's assistant in TV and now you've made your way into writing. Yeah. What do you think is the future for you? How do you continue the path forward? Well, I'm very passionate about what's happening with this strike right now. So I want the future not just to be my career or my success, but the collective success and the survival of writing as a craft and the power, the creative power of writers in the room. So I, I want this union to keep, to become a movement, not just for this strike, but continually create art education, uh, create craft and career education for young writers. Because when I came in the business, I was just kind of thrown in the deep and I had no idea. There's no training, you know? You just show up one day, they're like, and they're talking about the show and you just kind of have to figure out what the what the hell is going on. Um, so I'm running for a WJ West board, actually. I was nominated for the board. And if I get in, then I'd really like to make this business more hospitable, healthier, especially for women especially for people of color, for black people, for indigenous people. Um, yeah, I want to work on great shows, all that sort of thing. But ultimately, I want to feel good, you know? I want to make enough money to have a middle-class life. I want to enjoy my life when I go into work. Um, to me, personally, at this point, after having worked on an Emmy-nominated show, that's more important to me. I want to feel good. Um, so that's the future for me, you know, just actually focusing on making this business a healthy place to work and to live in, you know? Um, and do you think that's mostly through writing in the Writers Guild or are there other interests like maybe directing because you were a director's assistant? Oh, yeah. Every writer would love to direct. Total control over your material. Um, yeah, I'd like to make a movie. Uh, I, I had written a movie originally that that's what got me on the bear and there was interest in it before the 
before the strike, so hopefully after the strike, I haven't completely created my career, and you know, I can still go make a movie. Um, what kind of movies do you like to write? I like to write satires, dark comedies. Um, I like to write movies that make you think, but don't seem over intellectual. Um, I like to work between the lines, you know. Um, I love dialogue. I love the actions, but I think it's really magic when you can, in between the lines, put messages and tones and, and themes that make people think differently about their own lives. When you can do that, I think it's kind of a magic trick. So I like making those kinds of movies. Um, and I like making countercultural movies, you, you know, like 70s movies are what I love. You know, things like Easy Rider or Bonnie and Clyde that kind of created a new wave in America. I want whatever I make as a filmmaker, if I ever get that chance, to really push the medium forward to open up more space because I see it as part of the movement. You know, every movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, it creates more space for diversity and more space for creative ideas. So whatever I make, whether it's The Bear or my own movie, I want to open up space for better art, for more diverse artists. So it's all part of the same cultural movement that we're building every day on the picket line. And hopefully once we win, we keep building in our writers' rooms, we keep building in our movies and, and everything that we do as writers. Okay, last question. So you have a sign here that says Writers Guild on Strike. AI don't like it. Could you tell me more about why you chose that sign? Oh, uh, you know, I love a good pun. I didn't write, I can't take credit for this sign, but AI is extremely bad. You know, the AI scientists have said like, it represents an existential threat, as if we need more threats to our existence as human beings right now. So um, I'm really proud that the Writers Guild is at the forefront of this battle against AI. And if we can win, that sets a precedent for so many workers across the country. Um, so we have to win. I'm not gonna be replaced by a machine. We need to have humanity in our art. So I truly believe that this is a human art movement that we're building. Do you think that there is any hope for AI to become a tool for you as a writer, or do you think that it's completely black and white? I've tried it. You know, you never know about the future. It could be a good research tool, but ultimately writing is not supposed to be easy. If it's easy, you're probably not writing very well. Writing is supposed to challenge you and honestly make you feel dumb and like a piece of crap until then you break through and you're like, oh, that's it. And that's the process. If you take the hard part out of the process, this the 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 it's peaks and valleys. You, it's like you want it to be automated so you just have a pl plateau. Well, then everything will be on this wavelength. And you'll watch it and you'll, oh, that's kind of funny. Oh, that's kind of sad. But it's when the writer, trust me, <laughs> writing for the bear, I mean, it's about mental health. I had to delve into my own stuff. Writing my movie, I had to delve into my own stuff. I couldn't just say, AI, hey, like, I want to write this really dramatic scene that makes people cry. I had to figure out what I'm holding. That's the beauty of art. It's therapeutic. And if it's therapeutic for the writer, often it's cathartic for the audience. I don't believe AI will be able to do that because AI has never had tragedy. AI has never had to survive, has ever had to blaze a new trail. It's just a machine. Unfortunately, the people who rule this business and are ruling the world, they think more and more like machines. But I want the artists to, to be more and more human. Not Democrat, Republican, black or white, human art, you know, that actually reminds us the person on the other side of those eyes is another human being with their own individual life. Great art, it gives you that empathy that makes you realize, wow, 
everyone is so complex. Even somebody like on the bear, Richie, who is not like me, you know, he's more of a belligerent white dude. If you keep looking, there's so much more to him than just a stereotype. There is so much more humanity and yearning. So I love looking deeper into people. I love looking deeper into characters. And I just don't think that AI could ever do that. You know, all it can do is analyze. And we see where the world is going when it's just algorithms that rule us. You know, it's darkness. So it's only art that I think can reignite the public imagination. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing your story. What is your message to the studios today? Just come back to the bargaining table and pay us. Guys, this is ridiculous. <laughs> We're Hollywood screenwriters and actors, and you have pushed us to the middle, to the working class. You got, you got it so bad that... On Wednesday, we're going to do a, a, a rally with the Teamsters at the UPS drivers that are going to go on strike maybe in August. I mean, they were accidentally inspiring a revolution of workers just because they won't pay us. So, hey, for your own good, because if not, we coming. We coming. Listen, we're writers. We're not... Writers don't have the reputation of being the toughest people. Now, we're tough when it comes to negotiation, but we're not usually the brawny people. Don't fuck with these te uh, UPS Teamsters. That's all I'm telling you, man. Don't fuck with them. They're on some other shit. All right? So that's my warning to you. Get to the bargaining table with every worker across America because they coming for your asses, for real. Awesome. Thank you so much for speaking with me. I'm very excited. Congratulations on your episode of The Bear. and looking forward to seeing that dark satire that got you noticed come to life in the movie theaters. Let's hope. Let's hope. Your lips to God's ears. You take care. Good luck, everyone. Keep at it. Next, I had the opportunity to talk to David Weddle outside of Sony Picture Studios in Culver City. He is an extremely accomplished writer whose credits include Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, and the recent Apple series for All Mankind. My name is David Weddle. I'm a lock coordinator here at Sony Studios and a WGA strike captain. Amazing. And could you tell me more about your journey into writing? What made you fall in love with it? Uh, well, I was in this, I was a terrible student as a kid. I was in a slow reading group. I saw, I got C's and D's. It was a national holiday in my house if I got a C. Uh, but I saw a live production of Of Mice and Men by John Steinbeck in Louisville, Kentucky in 1968, directed by Ted Kotcheff, and it was like a, uh, an awakening. I was so moved and struck by that experience of watching that. And then I found out it was a book. So then I went to get the book. And then I was without, never without a book from that point on in my life. And within a couple of years, I was getting A's. And I was also started writing within months after reading that. Because I wanted to, I had been so moved and affected by this story that I wanted to do that. I wanted to create the experience for myself. And that was the beginning of being a writer. And then what was the project that landed you your WGA card? Uh, my co-writer Bradley Thompson and I sold a story to Star Trek Deep Space Nine in 1995. And then the next season we sold two teleplays and then the next season we went on staff. So that's Star Trek Deep Space Nine was our entry into the business. And I will explain to you in a nutshell why we're out here today. I now work on For All Mankind, huge show on Apple TV, a hit, critically acclaimed. 
This last year, I made more in residuals from Star Trek Deep Space Nine, a show I wrote 25 years ago, than I did off this Apple show, which is a huge hit and is watched by millions upon millions of people. Because streaming residuals are a joke. They're a, they're a trickle of what they should be. And as writers, we give up our copyright of our material. I've written two books. I own the copyright to those books. Anytime those books sell anywhere in the world, I get a piece, I get uh, the profits in the form of royalties. We expect, we give up our copyrights as writers for television. We willingly relinquish it with the understanding that we are going to be compensated by residuals, which is our form of royalties. So when a show like Apple, uh, when a show for Apple turns down the spigot to it's barely a trickle, we're not getting fairly compensated. They're reneging on an understanding that's gone on since the beginning of television and make, trying to reduce us to wage employees, work for hire people, and that's what's wrong. What is the project that you've written that you're the most proud of? The two projects I'm most proud of is uh, Battlestar Galactica, which I was on that from first episode to last, and For All Mankind, the one I'm working on now. So I love the show. I just don't love how they don't pay us what we deserve. What do you hope the landscape will be like five years from now? Five years from now, I'm hoping that writers will get just residuals, fair residuals, that they can do what writers did in, when I first entered this business 28 years ago, where if you weren't working for a year, because this is a show, uh, a profession where you go from show to show, you're, we're kind of like harvest workers. You know, we get a show, we get paid, we, we're well paid during that time period, but then we might have a year of not working. When I worked on Star Trek, that happened. I worked for four years on Star Trek, then I had a couple of years where I wasn't working. I lived off the residuals, because the residuals were substantial enough that I could maintain a middle-class lifestyle until I got on the next show. That's not possible anymore. Younger writers are having to take second jobs. They're having to take second jobs while they're working on shows. And that's not, the, that's not the sort of unwritten agreement that writers had with studios in exchange for a copyright that we would be able to have, you know, a decent middle-class lifestyle that's been taken away from us as it's slowly been taken away from everyone, union employer, employees of car makers or steel mills or manufacturing jobs or one after another. They're trying to take away the compensation that maintain a, a steady middle class in America. And you can see the result in any city you drive down where there's tent cities all over the sidewalks. And I can remember when I was a kid, we'd go down to Tijuana, Mexico, and see all these shanty towns and go, oh my God, how terrible. I'm glad I don't live in a country like that. Well, now we do. And this, it's part of this larger landscape of the struggle between labor and management and the haves and have-nots. And they're trying to do it to every profession and they're coming after us now. What is your message to the studios? Give us fair compensation, hold up your end of the bargain. We create the content, there's no content without us. It wouldn't exist. And the same is true for the actors. So treat us as the people that are helping to create your product, as partners, not as employees. And yeah. they do it because they know they can do it, because they know they can get away, because we haven't stopped them until now.
Yeah, we create the, the product that has billions of uh, uh, is worth billions in value across the world. It's the one of the most the the American television movie industry is one of the most successful industries in America. A huge export business. The you know and and these guys wouldn't have it without us because we create. There's there's what's Bob Iger gonna make without us? What's your advice to that young kid maybe in Louisville or someone here in L.A. who's just looking to start out and break in? You just have, um, the only thing I can say is you have to want it more than anything. It has to be, you don't have a choice. And you have to go at it kind of fanatically. And, he, and, and it will never unfold the way you think it's going to unfold. It's going to unfold in unexpected ways. But if you keep going at it with everything you have, you will get there. I do believe that there's a place for everyone if they're passionate enough and persistent enough. Tenacity is super important and, and enduring all the big and small humiliations along the way that are involved to discourage you. So. Well, thank you so much for speaking with me, David. Where can people keep up with you and your work online? I have a webpage, www.davidoweddle.com, but it's it's just about my history, personal journey as a writer. That's great. That's exactly oh, yeah. what we like to cover. Oh, yeah. You can see my whole story. I have many. I read a lot about how I got in the business, who are my mentors, what's the value of television work, what's the val- lasting value of writing. The story I told you about in Louisville, Kentucky, seeing up mice and men, I did that. I have a much more detailed account of that. Uh, I called the director who made that episode 30 years later, and he'd never seen it since he made it, and told him how he changed my life. And all of us who are working in this medium as actors or writers or directors, we don't know if there's a little kid in Louisville, Kentucky, watching TV, an episode that we made that, that their life might be forever changed by something we did. So... Next up, outside Fox Studios, I had the opportunity to speak to Ryan Lee, who is a staff writer on the latest season of CSI Vegas. I'm Ryan. I'm a member of the WGA. Can you tell me what's going on here today? Well, we are striking for a better deal from the AMPTP, and we're joined by uh, the simultaneous strike happening. SAG is also striking, so uh, there's a lot of excitement. We're trying to put faces to the headlines behind the strike. It's so easy to have a nebulous overall headline, but we want to hear people's individual stories. Can you tell me about your road to the guild? Sure. Uh, well, I I was a, uh, I was working as a substitute teacher for a while and doing various odd jobs and, and sort of having scripts in development, but wasn't getting a lot of traction. And uh, after seven years of applying, I got into the, the now Paramount Writers Mentoring Program. Uh, and through that sort of got my name in the in the system and got staffed on CSI Vegas last year. So I've only been in the guild for about a year and three months. Well, congratulations on getting staffed. Thank um, you. Is CSI Vegas the thing that you're most proud of? And could you tell me some other projects that you're excited about? It is my only credit. So by default, it is the thing I am most proud of, yes. But, but yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's been a great experience, and uh, I would love to get back to work on it as soon as humanly possible. Okay, so I think a lot of people trying to break into writing get frustrated or discouraged. You said it took you seven years applying to the same program. What kept you going on those moments that maybe you wanted to not try for a fifth or sixth time? Um, I had no other alternative uh, or no plan B, so I just had to keep going. I mean, I also think I'm relatively young, so I had the ability to keep going without necessarily a, a, a ton of other responsibilities that would draw me in other directions. 
Um, so yeah, basically just, you know, I had to. And what were you doing in your free time writing-wise when you weren't substitute teaching to prepare for times when you might get those meetings to talk about your scripts? I was just writing a ton. Uh, I probably wrote, you know, I wrote just a lot during that time, and a lot of it was bad. And I did have an agent for a, a big chunk of that, so I was able to get some feedback and be able to send scripts out and have them be passed on all over town. So I did have that constant stream of rejection going on, uh, but mostly just wrote a lot. Just kept turning out pages. So what is your advice to young writers maybe looking to break into the business? Write a lot. I mean, that's sort of the one thing you can control is how much you're actually, you know, outputting and to not get too precious over any, any individual script. What is your message to the studios today? That they should get back to the table, make a f-ing deal. Um, thank you so much for speaking with me, Ryan. All, all the best to you and can't wait for your episodes to come out on CSI Vegas. Thank you. And next we have Megan Reese, who has not yet joined the Writers Guild. She is a writer working towards that union credit that will land her her guild card. And she also brings a unique perspective, particularly having a former career as a therapist that she is able to bring into her writing. Megan is an example of one of the many people who are currently out on the picket lines, standing in solidarity pre-guild membership. I'm Megan. I'm looking to get into the guild. I would love to be in a TV writer's room. That's my dream. And can you tell me why you're out here today? I'm out here today uh, because I'm fighting for the future of TV and film. I'm fighting for the future of creatives to actually be able to feasibly have this as a job and to continue to you know, have a decent lifestyle and not be hopping from job to job. But honestly, I'm fighting for any laborer. Like we, We've come to a world where the billionaires make all the money and the off the backs of the workers and the workers are finding it hard, harder and harder to make ends meet. So I'll be here for any labor fight. So we're out here trying to put some faces behind the headlines today of what it really is like as a writer. So you're on the road to getting your WGA membership. Could you tell me more about your initial break-ins, um, how your writing career has been going, and what you're looking forward to? Yeah, it's probably a pretty short story so far. Um, you know, at the moment, I'm just writing a lot, and I'm writing pilots that are samples that will hopefully one day get me into staffing meetings or potentially to get management, um, doing a lot of contests. And I'm also building a, a community of women and non-binary writers who are over 40 because we're a very underrepresented group in in the writing sphere and uh, there are not enough characters that are written that look like us and there are not enough writers that look like us in the writers rooms so I'm also building that community it's over 250 strong now um, and we're we're out here so if someone wanted to join that community or support that community, where could they find you? The best thing would be to just, uh, you can email me directly or you can hit me up on Twitter if it still exists by the time this podcast comes out, who knows? But um, yeah, I'm American Megalo on everything, Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail. So that's American, M-E-G-A-L-O. Awesome. And what kind of uh, things did you take to prepare to pursue a writing career? Did you move to Los Angeles to pursue writing or are you from here? I actually live in the Bay Area. I'm from the Bay Area. So I just come down here as often as I can to meet people, to mix, to have coffee chats, to hang out on the picket line and support the movement. Um, I forgot the first part of your question. <laughs> oh, just just about your story in, yeah. in, in writing. Did you, uh, have you worked in another industry and then found inspiration okay. in writing? Have you always wanted to be a writer? Yeah, actually, I have a couple of different careers that, ha- that have already happened in my life. I'm a therapist first, um, and then I pivoted over 
to learning and development, most recently in tech. And it was actually in that role where I was writing learning content, scripted videos, that whole thing. And somebody was like, you know, you're really good at writing for the brand. And it was a very famous tech brand that I won't mention, but it's a beloved brand that has become less beloved in the last few months. Uh, and in doing that, I was like, wait, not everybody can write for the brand. And, and they were like, no, that's actually a specific skill that none of us have. So I was like, oh, maybe I should get back into writing, which is something I had done 20 years previous. And um, so I'm like, well, now I can no longer afford to not write because it's what I was put on the planet to do. So how have your other careers helped inform your writing, both in bringing those experiences into your writing and maybe some soft and hard skills that people don't always think about? Oh, yeah, I could probably talk about this all day. Um, so as a therapist, I think my specialty is character and like getting into the, the heads of a character. So I, I understand what makes people tick and why they do the things they do and, and what what they might be like when nobody's watching, because I think that's a really part, important part of a character as well. Um, and I've also been really fascinated by workplace dynamics for many, many years. I did my thesis on that in grad school. And, um, and so I'm really interested in how to build psychologically safe environments. And I think that creativity happens when people are not afraid to fail. And I've heard that there are a lot of actually really toxic environments in TV writers' rooms, and I would love to, to have an influence on, on, on heading that towards a better place so that people can do their best work and they can really, you know, like try things and, and not be afraid of what might happen and, and do their most creative, interesting, collaborative work. I think magic happens when you forget whose original idea it was and it, it just it just builds like a snowball going downhill and everybody contributes and, and that's when real magic happens. So I love that you are building this community of underrepresented women over 40. I think a lot of people feel that they can't get started or there isn't going to be a place at the table for them. You're already doing so much work in giving them access through building a community that can be mutually supportive. What is your message to someone who's listening who might fall in that category and isn't sure how to get started or thinks that it might be too late for them? I think that we are a real asset. Like we come with life experience. We've been around, we've met people, we've seen things. We also know how to be professional. We know how to show up on time and to listen and communicate. And I think that we are actually really an asset and I think we should lean into it. I, I think there's sometimes people are afraid to let people know how old they are. And you know, when you're a writer, you can submit stuff and no one knows who it's from. But I say like, let's lean all the way into it. You know, say that we're coming with so much life experience and, and just write, just write, find your people, take classes, have people read your stuff and just keep writing. You know, it's easy to hide behind this fear that I'll never break in because I'm too old or this or that. And that's just an avoidance tactic to keep you from writing. And you're not gonna get better and you're not gonna break in anywhere if you don't keep writing. What is your message to the studios today? studios literally we're real human people and we are the heart and soul of of all of your products you know we are the ones that, that that dream up big things that you never could that that a computer never could so let us thrive let us join you let us help we, we can continue helping to make you rich but not if we are struggling and not if we can't you know get get a job or we can't pay our bills we're we're never gonna we're never gonna help you make the best thing that we can make so come back to the table talk to us we're here we want we want to meet you somewhere in a, in a great middle okay so five years from now the year is 2028 you have your WGA card what do you hope that the landscape looks like 
Ooh, I hope that the landscape is plenty of people of all walks of life, all races, all genders, all sexual orientations. Part, you know, part of creating art that represents the world that we live in. The world that we live in is diverse and you know the the world of creatives is diverse so let's let's see that in the rooms let's see that on the screen um i hope to be a showrunner someday and and helping to create a vision and and staff it with a bunch of happy writers who are seeing themselves in the work and getting their own opportunities well thanks so much for being out here today for supporting the writers guild and the guild that you're soon going to be a member of and looking forward to how your career develops and seeing that show on the tv screen that you'll be show running so oh, thank you it was great to chat so those are the raw interviews straight from the picket lines thank you so much for tuning in we don't have a typical takeaways like we normally do because i really want to let these interviews shine in a little bit of a different format but spotify has recently introduced some interactive features so if you go to this episode in the spotify app and it asks you, what did you think of this episode? This is the time to comment. Do you stand in solidarity with the Writers Guild, with the Screen Actors Guild? Have you been out on the picket lines? If I do these episodes again, which picket line should I go to? And if there is anyone featured who you think would be interesting for a longer form interview that I could perhaps ask to come back on, please let me know. And if you're in Los Angeles like me, let me know if you are going to be out on one of these picket lines. The WGA in particular has a lot of special themed strikes like K-pop or reunions for certain shows. So lots of great events to go on down to, whether you are in one of these guilds or just an ally. So remember that next episode is going to be another special episode like this one, but featuring actors from the Screen Actors Guild before we get back to our regular programming. Also, if you have not yet, you can go back to our third episode of this podcast, which was released just before the strike. It's episode three with Nina Sadowski. She speaks to how the last strike in 2007, 2008 affected her career as a baby screenwriter and the path that she's carved for herself to immense success since that. She's an amazing example, plus an incredibly talented writer. So go ahead and check that episode out if you have not already. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of No Set Path. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate it and share it with a friend, especially if you can think of someone who might benefit from the knowledge that was shared here today. You can keep up with the podcast on all social platforms at No Set Path Show or on the website at www.nosetpathshow.com. Thanks so much for being part of this community and we'll talk to you soon.